So uh, what I want to encourage you to do as we jump in for today, uh, inside your program, there's a white message note sheet. We leave that for you if you want to follow along, take some notes. And as you pull it out, I want to bring you back to a moment in time, back to my freshman year of college. So much younger and more handsome then, right? Uh, Back to my freshman year of college, and I'm sitting in my dorm room, and I was sitting talking to a friend I had met. He's a grad student there, and he started sharing with me about um, what his journey had been like, and he was just saying, you know, it's the community he walked in was one of the key things that shaped him outside of his education there. And I was thinking, man, I would love that. I, I hope I can have some kind of community like that. I'm just starting out at Biola, and I'm hoping that God would give me something like he's talking about. So I had a hunger within. And then he did something uh, that I, I, it just marked me. He just paused, and he looked at me. He says, Dave, you know what I think we're supposed to do right now? Because I think we're supposed to pray for that right now. I wasn't used to that. Like, oh, okay, well, let's do that. Uh, he goes, I'll just pray. So he prayed. Really simple prayer. God, I thank you for Dave. And he began thanking God for me. I was already encouraged. I don't care what he prayed after that. I was feeling great. <laughs> thank God for me. And then he prayed something very short, but it felt bold to me, but a very simple. Lord, you created community. You want it. Would you release that for Dave this year for him? And that was it. I was so encouraged by that. I was a little convicted, too. It's like, I don't pray like that. Uh, I felt a little bit bold. I was, and it was encouraging. I was so encouraged by him. And so I'm taking this moment in, and he leaves. He walks. That's really what he did. He just came, and then he left. left. Um, so as he's walking away, my phone rings. Um, I'm lost in this moment, and I pick up the phone, and it's a guy from a class, and he's like, Dave, uh, would you like to be part of a group? We, I don't know if you want to walk in like closer to the community with some guys. We want to come together and pray. Uh, you know, I'm still, I am still in the moment where we just prayed, and I was just encouraged by what felt like a bold prayer. And then I'm on the phone. I wasn't ready for the answer yet. I was still just like taking that in. God answers that prayer immediately. I tell him, of course, I, I, I've been wanting this. And I could still see the guy walking away who just prayed with me. Uh, after that moment, I'm, I was just thinking, like, am I praying like I believe God hears me? Do I even pray like I believe God hears me? And we're going to be looking at something today that's going to be encouraging that. What if... What if this was a year for us individually where we began praying more like we really, really believe he hears us? What if that marked our life groups? What if that marked us in a deeper way as a church this year? What would happen? We're going to be coming into a story today where Jesus, he's going to show and tell this principle. There's a lot going on in this story. If you're new with us, I'll catch you up to speed briefly. We've been in a series in the book, of, the book of Mark. Mark was a close associate of Peter, and he recorded the life of Jesus through Peter's experience, one of the closest followers of Jesus. And it's like a trilogy. You ever see a great movie trilogy? And it's broken up into three sections. This is kind of like that. The book of Mark is in three sections. The first section is like, who's Jesus? So that's why it's called Jesus the King. Uh, Jesus, when he came... People were not expecting what they got when Jesus came. What did they expect from a Messiah? Shock and awe. 
come with power, author full authority, blazing, and blowing out of Rome from oppressing the Jewish people and bringing freedom, established rule right here, right now. Jesus came differently, much more subtle. He begins teaching, but all of a sudden, people start catching on. No, no, this is not just teaching. They always said things like this. This man has authority. Oh, then he would do miracles. He starts walking on water, multiplying food, raising someone from the dead. What is going on? He's the king. He is the promised Messiah who's come. And you start catching on. People start catching on. And Peter does declare he is the Christ, the promised Messiah. So the first part of this trilogy is who is he? Second part of it goes into the call to follow, which means what does it look like to even follow Jesus? And as you take a look at his teachings, what he modeled, it was this radical, countercultural believer that had their mind on another kingdom. They could see something in the future everybody else was missing, that there is a true king who's establishing a real kingdom who will one day come and reign and rule again physically, but even now he is extending his rule. And we're a privileged part of that. And there's a way we follow. That was the second part of the trilogy, the call to follow. Now we're coming into this third part of this trilogy. And this is an epic moment. It's, if you've seen The Matrix, if you're watching that movie, it's going, going, going. And then they go in this slow motion. It's kind of like the book of Mark goes in slow motion. Because we've been trekking through the life of Jesus. It uses words like suddenly and then as you're reading through and then all of a sudden, it goes slow motion. And the last third of the book focuses on the last week of Jesus' life. It zooms in. Now, it feels, as you're reading it, like the dark side is winning. You ever feel that in a movie? Like, oh, it's going bad. Because he's on the way to the cross. Things are going to start turning against him quickly. And what we've seen as we've come into this section Jesus used to keep it, hey, don't keep saying who I am. He's revealing it, but doesn't want to keep spreading it too fast. Now, at the biggest celebration called Passover, celebrating the mercy of God, releasing them from Egypt and Pharaoh, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, and they're recognizing, hey, Messiah, Hosanna, waving palm branches, but what are they expecting? They're expecting him to come overthrow Rome, Overthrow it, come be the shock and awe, establish rule here and now. The same people who are cheering within days will call for his death. It's a shallow belief. They're missing it. So he has this triumphal entry demonstrating that the Passover lamb that was sacrificed at the first Passover, he's the last Passover lamb, the perfect one that was always picturing coming to die and to rise. They're missing it. There's a scene last week, if you were here, where the whole Judaic temple um, ruling class, the religious structure, what was going on there had lost such focus. They were so far off. Judaism was always been waiting and hoping for this Messiah to come. That the court of the Gentiles was in such disarray, Jesus goes in and clears it. They're so far off, they've never been able to recognize that he actually is the Messiah. They're so far off. And he clears this temple. The story that we're dropping in today, 
books mark this temple, bookmarks this temple clearing moment. Part of the story is told before he clears the temple, and then we pick up on where he finishes it. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11. Because what you're going to find in Mark 11 here is Jesus is going to be teaching a very powerful principle on prayer in this whole scripture. And we're going to be taking a look at it. As you turn there, I want to set you up. And back in verses 12 through 14, I won't read it. I'll just quickly summarize it. Right before he was going to clear this temple, it's a Monday morning, going from Bethany to Jerusalem. He's going there. He sees this fig tree in full bloom. And as he's going to this tree, he's going to go pick some figs. But it says that's not even the season for figs. In March, those trees would create these little edible buds. So if it's going to be a producing tree. It even has these little buds on it. He goes, that tree doesn't have anything on it. It's going to be a non-producing tree. Jesus does something totally bizarre. It's, he looks at this tree. He starts talking to the tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, if you were a disciple standing there, what would you think? Oh, boy, he's losing it. He's talking to trees. He's cursing it. Uh, what is going on? Is Jesus having a bad day? Is the pressure getting to him? Do we need to send Jesus to anger management? What is going on? It's a confusing scene when you look at it. And then he just goes on. He does his temple clearing. Now we jump into verse 20 of Mark 11. What you're going to notice is that this is actually a prophetic act. But then he brings a teaching that comes with a promise. Verse 20, in the morning, as they went along, so this is the, another day after he'd done the temple clearing, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered, and he said to Jesus, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed, it's withered. What did it say? It's withered from the roots. It's dead, dead. It's like all the way dead. It's gone. This tree, you have, when, you, when you have a text like this, always remember you're interpreting it with a context, contextually. It's bookmarked, so you've got to keep it along with this whole temple thing. It is an actual picture of the future judgment of this temple that Jesus just went in there and cleared out. This fig tree is unproducing. Just like temple Judaism was like a barren tree, it had lost all of its spiritual impact, its spiritual fruit. It was so far off. When Jesus went in there cleaning house, he wasn't just cleaning house. He was acting as king, enacting judgment, basically saying, this for, forevermore is going to be gone. There will be a whole new way. Everyone used to go to the temple. It's a place where God dwelt in this holy of holies, a manifest presence that will all be wiped away. Thus, when he died and that curtain rips and the holy of holies is open, it's symbolizing it's a whole new era. How people used to look at the temple as a main focus of worship from now on. They will now look to Jesus. They will now look to his death, burial, and resurrection. We don't go to that temple anymore. God says, guess where the temple is? The temple will be alive in my people. And my people are going to have fruit that will bear life. And there's going to be something that even marks these people. It's how they even pray and come to me. It's a fruitful people who are going to see the hand of God moving because this old system is gone. Jesus is the new system and he lives within his followers. Thus, this whole fig tree cursing and death is a prophetic picture of what's coming for that temple. And if you read through, it does happen. Now, as we go on, Jesus now gives a promise. Verse 22, he says this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. 
23 says, I truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, well, what mountain is that? You know, he's standing on the Mount of Olives. He could be referring to the Temple Mount where the judgment's coming, could be that. But what's really fascinating is if you're standing where he was, you can look from the, to the south of Jerusalem, and there's this huge mountain that you could see, and it, it's the citadel um, of Herodias. Take a look at this thing. Here's an aerial picture from the top. It's this massive thing that Herod the Great built to retreat to in case of war. This massive thing. Well, even to build this, there's an adjacent mountain next to it. He had to level parts of that mountain just to build what he wanted to build here. Take a look at the next picture. So you see this landscape. There's even this little flatter section. Part of it leveled to create this almost looks like a volcano in the distance. As Jesus is speaking, this is a backdrop. Good chance this is what he's referring to. And as he, as he speaks, he says this, If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, the original way of saying this is, what he speaks becomes. But believes that what they say will happen, it'll be done for them. Herod's architectural ambitions Change the landscape of Judea. And Jesus is saying, you've not seen anything yet because when one of my believers prays in, in my name, they will see even greater things than this. You think that's amazing? You ain't seen nothing yet. That's what he's getting at. It's powerful. Verse 24 underscores a promise he's giving. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, whatever... You ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it'll be yours. There is a confident expectation of this type of praying that already sees its accomplishment in heaven, and you're standing in agreement with that, asking for it. Seeing before it happens, and praying towards it. Powerful. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, that's powerful too. Anything against who? Anyone. How many feel convicted already? Oh boy. Forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Another layer of how we pray. Marks his followers. There's a big lesson in this. I'm going to say it in the simplest of ways. And then we'll unpack it. Here's the lesson that Jesus is teaching. The prayer of faith changes things. The prayer of faith changes things. Does God change? No. God doesn't change. But circumstances change. We change. The prayer of faith is the means God has provided to unleash the power of his kingdom. Whatever reason, he says, I'm including you. You're my followers. I'm including you. And we are invited to pray prayers of faith. And things that seem impossible, God makes possible. Where we have limited power... He has unlimited power. 
It's this powerful promise. We're the new temple, and there's something that marks us as we pray, that we have an unwavering trust in God. There's something that believes in him so great and what he wants to do. Now, this verse is also really confusing. Does this mean we have a blank check? So whatever you ask. That sounds like a blank check, doesn't it? Right? If we stand on this verse alone, that's a blank check. There's another scripture that helps us focus in on what is he getting at here. There's another scripture that promises the same thing, but it gives a qualifier. Take a look. John chapter 14, verse 13. Great, great scripture. And what I want, I'm going to tell you what you're about to read. Jesus is inviting us to become his partner. As we pray, I'll explain what that means. Jesus said, and I will do whatever you ask. There's that huge promise again. I will do whatever you ask. What's the next phrase? In my name. Say it with me. In my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what does this mean? When you pray and you say, well, in Jesus' name, is that like a abracadabra, therefore it thus shall be? So you can pray anything you want and say, in Jesus' name, now it has to happen. Is that what it's teaching? Honestly, it's brought a lot of confusion. Some people think that's actually what it means. What does it mean to pray in his name? It means that you are partnering with him And to partner with God, you've got to represent him. And you have to represent his interests. That's what it means. If you are an ambassador for a nation, you don't represent your personal preference. You represent the preference and the interests of a nation. When we go to prayer, we are not representing our interests. We represent his interests. That's why we need a qualifier verse to help focus us in. When Jesus is making this big promise, help us understand what he's getting at. We pray in his name as a partner with him to represent him and his interests. Jesus modeled this whole principle to us throughout his whole lifetime. His entire ministry was marked by something. When Jesus went around, you know, it's a theological challenge to wrap your head around the fact that how can God, fully God, become fully man That while on earth, he's fully God, 100%, fully man, 100%. But at the same time, he gives up and chooses not to use his omniscience, all of his power, he chooses to withhold, and it says he grew in wisdom and stature, favor with the Lord, where he is subject to the Father's leading, the Holy Spirit working to direct him. So much so that he says he wouldn't do anything unless the Father would lead it. He is modeling a life for us to live. Unbelievable. Take a look at John chapter 5. It's, you're going to see this where he declares it. John five seventeen. It says this. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So God's always up to something. Verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. 
Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. Did Jesus heal everybody he passed? No. But when the Father led him, he moved. And when he moved, he moved in authority. When he prayed, he prayed in authority. But always partnering with the Father, doing the interest of the Father. Is no different than how we pray, how we're supposed to live. So our bold prayers have this amazing backdrop of always having an ear to the Father. Saying, Holy Spirit, lead and direct us. I want to represent you well, God. I want to, I want to make you proud. I want to pray like you would pray. That's the heart behind it. Now, there's two common misconceptions that come into this whole thing. That this text has actually been used, and it's been taught in some ways that have brought a lot of confusion. Here's the first misconception um, that has come out of this. The first one is this. Assuming that every desire is God's desire. Assuming every desire is God's desire. Do you ever tend to do that? We project our desire as if it's God's desire. We do it all the time. So, especially we go to prayer, we just jump right in. Lord, make this happen. And we go off telling him what to make happen, right? We love to do that. I do that. I have to slow myself down. I need to represent him and his interests. There's even been a teaching that's gone out so far to say this. Listen, and they'll just, if you just use Mark 11 on its own, you could see why you would say this. And if you forget John 14. But you'd say, listen, all you have to do is name something you want, your next luxury car, your 12-car garage, what, you pick it, and then you claim it by faith. It shall be yours. Especially if you don't doubt. Don't use negative talk. Keep all of it out of your head. Then it has to happen. What that's representing is a faith in faith. Mark 11 says, who do we have faith in? We have faith in God. Mark, the whole book of Mark is about a king. Who's the king? Jesus. If we pray like this, we are violating the whole context of who God is. We are making ourselves sovereign. We are not the king. We don't order the king. We take direction from the king. So that's one of the first errors within that teaching. The other error that is in that teaching is a hermeneutical error. It's a Bible interpretation error. What's the, what's the error? That you always interpret a text in light of the whole context and the whole scheme of Scripture. It doesn't just stand alone. That's why we have other qualifier verses. We have to see it. Why? Because God does not contradict himself. So he's not going to say one thing here, one thing here, and be all over the place. We have the whole authority of the word of God. And we need it to help us understand these things. So it's, it's a key thing. That's what, Here's another qualifier, James 4, verse 3. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Right? Whose motives do we want to represent? God's. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So it's not a blank check. Second misconception. Assuming my prayer cannot be effective. Assuming my prayer cannot be effective. I don't know if you felt this. I remember when my friend prayed for me and I saw an immediate answer. I felt like, I don't get that. I don't sense God's leading like that. I don't see immediate answers to prayer like that. I don't think it's, 
Other people can get it, and I can believe that. It's hard for me to really believe, for me, that God would do anything like that. Can you relate to that? Um, it's, it's out there all over the place. We all probably battle it in some way. The Bible clearly states that God acts in response to prayer that he is directed. If we don't even think we can pray and God wants to be behind that, heaven is behind us, you know what it will stop us from doing? Even seeking God for how we should pray. Why should we? If it's Our prayers don't matter. Other people's do. Mine don't. And we're falling into an error. We judge the fact, effectiveness of the prayer based on the vessel. God never has. We're broken vessels, but we have Jesus. Right? Our prayer is not based on the vessel. It is based on his character and his authority. And we've got an invitation to go for it and to pray. Some of us in here just need to be reminded that heaven is really ready to be behind you as you pray. Even you. Um, one of the ways, like this can be a hard thing to wrap your mind around. Turn your program over on the back. It says pray biblical prayers. Here's something that I've done that has helped me build my confidence in how to pray boldly. If I was honest, I didn't really pray boldly very much at all. One of the ways is like, hey, when God gives scripture that has universal application, we should stand on that and pray for it, right? Some great examples. One way you can do this, let's just pick one. Um, it's even this one, a spirit of love, peace, and power. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. You want to know how to start a bold prayer? Well, one, we got a scripture. We already, is this within, does this represent God? Yeah, he gave it to us, right? So what do we say? I'll give you two words. You said. You just say this. Lord, you said. You didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. Lord, you said you're the one who releases self-discipline. I need it, Lord. Release it in my life. You said that there is power Take away my timidity, increase my confidence in you. I need your power. You said you would do that. You see how you're just standing on what he has said. I'm not ordering God around. I am standing with him for what he's asking us to stand with him in. It's such a powerful, powerful principle. You've got a whole page of these to practice. And there's more, a whole Bible. I mean, start taking a look. Have fun. Go for it. It is so, let me just tell you, when you're in the throes of it, this helps. You ever battled sin? You feel like you're, you're subject to it? Great. Galatians 5.1. Lord, you said it's for freedom that you have died to set us free. I, I want to walk in the freedom you're offering. So I'm choosing to believe I I'm actually can be dead to the sin. I will walk with it. You said you'll give me power to resist. I don't have it on my own. I don't have willpower. I have you, and I'm standing on you. Got it? How about James? It says, hey, you need wisdom? He loves to give it to his children. God, you said, you said you will give wisdom. I know you're going to give it in your time, but I'm going to stand here and ask you. Release it. I need your wisdom in this situation. I need it now. I'm standing with you. Provide it. I'll wait on you, Lord. You said you'll give it. Are you getting a heart for it? You pray for people you know who are lost? You said, Lord. 
your desire is all to come to know you. You also said we're supposed to pray that their eyes of their heart would be opened. So would you open their heart? I don't know where they're at, Lord, right now, but come right now. Would you begin to illuminate places that are darkened to you? Would you surround them with your people, with your presence? Begin to open their eyes. I will stand with you. And I may pray that for 10 years, but I'm going to keep standing with God. You getting This will help us break out of our, I can't do this. Just stand on what he said. Everybody say, you said. Okay, good, you're on your way. All right, now, I'm going to give three essentials here to help narrow this in and make it really practical. And it's right out of the text. The first one is this. Praying boldly has three essentials. The first one is this. It's the right focus. It's the right focus. Mark eleven twenty two said, have faith in God. It's in God. What is the hardest part about praying? Well, I'll tell you about me. A lot of times when I try to pray, I don't know about you, but for me, so many times my mind goes to the past and I keep replaying what happened. Oh, man. Trying to think, I should have done this, wish I could have done that. Thinking about it, I'm there. Or my mind jumps to the future. How am I going to fix this? What do I want to do? How do I repair that? Oh, worst case scenario A, worst case scenario B, worst case scenario C. Anybody relate? Oh, good. I thought I was the only one. Um, We can go in the past or we can live in the future where we always have, but God, what about this? But God, what about that? But God. And we have this thing. We start shrinking because of the situation. Right focus starts with a simple phrase Jesus gave in Mark 11, have faith in God. Dallas Willard said something phenomenal. He said, be present or you're not present. What does that mean? Be present or you're not present. You'll either be living in the past or your head's so caught up in the future that you are not even present with God right now. We've got to become present. How do you do that? It's sometimes it's a battle. That's why in your program, you're going to notice that there's two bookmarks I've included in there. I use stuff like this. Either ones I've memorized or things like this. You know what I do? It's so simple. Hey, pick either one. Here's names of God. Lord, I thank you. You are the breath of life. I thank you that you're comforter. I thank you that you're a consuming fire. Your power is unmatched. I thank you're a counselor. I know you love to lead. I thank you that you are deliverer. You're the father, a good father. You are like a fortress. I'm running to you right now, and I thank you. I could go down this whole list, and there's more. Here's characteristics of God. Same thing. You are unchanging. My world's falling apart. You're unchanging. I thank you that you are peaceful. I want to walk in exactly the place you're in, and I know it's a place of great peace. So I give you thanks. I thank you that I can come to the place, the, the Father who is in great place of power and peace. Oh, what am I doing? I'm just trying to get right focus. It's so simple and so powerful. This week, my sister was diagnosed with valley fever. I didn't know anything about this. Extremely serious. Um, debilitating, can be long-term, can be fatal. She'd gotten a very serious case. She could not go from the bathroom to her couch. Hardly make that. Just a few steps. 
her body is deteriorating rapidly. I went over with a few people to pray. Now, before I went in to pray, I, had, I did something. I did this. Lord, I thank you that this is who you are. I'm not going to sit and dwell on this, this bacteria that's attacking her body. I will dwell on him. Because when I go to pray, I don't want to be praying out of my fear. Right? I'm here to minister. I need to be in a place where I'm with the Lord. It, we have to pray from right focus. Our problem sometimes to pray boldly, we're just not in the right space yet. You've got to have right focus. Okay? See how it's going to kind of slow us down a little bit? Right focus. Just to, I don't have time to unpack it. I love what the doctor said a few days later. Their words when they said about her condition improvement, amazed. Uncharacteristic. Love that. Okay. What a coincidence. Um, number two. Um, it also takes spiritual clarity. Spiritual clarity. If we represent him and his interests, we have to be clear what his interests are. In Mark, when he says, believe that you received it, well, what is it? What does he want us to pray? Sometimes that's hard to discern. You've got biblical scriptures you can use to help pray and stand on. Sometimes you need some more specific direction. I know a lot of people are like me, and you've probably felt, I don't know, God doesn't speak to me. He doesn't lead me. I think it's for everybody else. It's based on his character that he does. He loves to do it. Do you know what John chapter 10 says? Verse 27. We'll put it up on screen. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. The best translation is hear. Hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. They hear my voice. We are designed to recognize his voice. You know we can recognize voices? I'm going to prove it right now, just for fun. Name this voice. You guys ready? If you got it, you put your hand in the air. Okay, let's hear it. First one. Nope. <laughs> All right. Who do we got here? Siri. Okay. That was fun. We'll be back next week. Um, we are designed to recognize voices. Now, when God speaks, though, don't you wish you could hear it like Siri? That would be so awesome. Speak through my iPhone, please. Talk to me. It is metaphorical language, which can be really frustrating, right? Uh, if you've ever heard like wine connoisseurs and they describe wine, what do they say? Oh, it's dry. It's delicately balanced with a floral bouquet. What? What does that mean? It's assertive, yet not overbearing. What does it taste like? I don't know. What does, that ta what does it taste like? Right? Sometimes, do you ever feel that when you're reading the Bible? What does that mean? I don't understand how it works. Now, I'm going to give you an example. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. You're going to see three ways God actually speaks and moves. Three different ways. And not just the only ones. But you'll see three. Now, let's start. Here we go. Verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, that should be like the needle on an old record like, what just happened? The Bible always just speaks it, so matter of fact. And an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and we just go, okay. You were, an angel appeared and talked to Philip. Okay, I've never had this. If I did, you'd probably think, oh, I'm at the wrong church. What's going on here? But really, sometimes God moves supernaturally like this. 
It even says sometimes angels, you don't even recognize them. That's Hebrew. It's like, hey, you'll entertain them unaware. Either way, angel appears and says, he tells them exactly where to go. So this leader, God tells this one leader of the movement, he says, go south to the road. In fact, to the desert road. You know the one that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, that road? So he literally directs them. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury. So we have an official who's the money man of Ethiopia, and there's something hungry about him. He's pursuing God, but he doesn't know him yet. It goes on and says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship this Ethiopian. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. See, something's up in his heart. He's reading, in fact, he's reading Isaiah 53, which talks about who? King Jesus. And then verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Well, there it is again. What do you mean the spirit told Philip? What is, that's like that wine connoisseur. What, is that, what do you mean the spirit told him? Right? It's simply reported. It's matter of fact. It is frustratingly succinct, and it never impacts how that happens, right? It just says, spirit will prompt you. He can make you move. Let's go stand near that chariot. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, Philip doesn't run up and say, hey, God told me I'm supposed to talk to you. Real chill. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Great question. And the guy says, well, how can I unless someone helps explain it to me? So we invite Philip to come up. This story ends with him getting baptized. He's come to know Christ. How did God move in that situation? There was a supernatural event. There was a prompting that moved Philip to go next to the chariot. And then the word of God is opened up and it illuminates Jesus. And the guy comes to know him. So you've got these different ways. God often moves in very natural ways. Through circumstances, through other people. Sometimes he moves supernaturally. Through events. Sometimes he moves us. That's why I love Nehemiah 7.5. It says, so God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles. God just put it in his heart. All this metaphorical language, God can move and direct us. He loves to. Young Samuel heard the voice of God. Or Samuel, Samuel. And what did he do? He'd go run to Eli. Like, what are you, why are you calling me? I love that. You know why? Even he's confused. That, right, is that God? Is that not? He didn't know. That's encouraging. A lot of times in Scripture, there's something people are confused. Is that God, not God? It's not just us. The thing is, there, Christians can be divided on camps like this about even the subjective, God using the subjective to lead us. And you might even hear things like this. Well, if you want to hear God, read the Bible. Is that true? Of course it is. It's his word. He will never, he will always be in it. The underlying statement, though, there's no other way he can lead you. The problem is scripture lays out ways he leads us all the time, like I've just read. Now, anytime there's something subjective, it always has to be subservient and validated by the objective word of God. That's why we have 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, how much scripture? Is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. So we test it all. At the same time, it says when scripture was written, did God dictate it? No, he didn't dictate it. It said, and Peter, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God moved him. There are intangible ways God leads us. Now, just to be practical on this, Sometimes 
it's just good to have some clarifying questions. If you've sensed, like, I think the Lord's leading this, here's a couple quick test questions for yourself just to check yourself. One, does it agree with Scripture? Is it, if it violates anything in Scripture, you know, it's not God. It's you, the enemy, something. Something's not right. Does it agree with Scripture? Secondly, is it consistent with God's character? Might be right, but is it done in the right way, in the right spirit? He is a tender, gracious. The longer I walk with God, I am more stunned at how gracious and gentle he is when he leads and moves. He is. Does it mark his character? And does it bear good fruit? Remember, I was talking to one of our elders, and they were praying before a service. God randomly puts on their mind somebody that attends a church, and they didn't know him well. And as he's praying, he wrote down three words. Huh. And so he just prayed those three things. I don't remember what the words were, and I don't even know if he told me. Just imagine. Well, let's say it's grace, power, and joy. And he comes to the service. Here's a sermon, and three themes came out. Same, similar type theme. Felt like, oh, gosh. I think it is. So he, he sees the guy after. He goes, I don't know. He goes, I was just praying for you. Uh, for some reason, my heart was drawn to you this morning. I prayed. I prayed these three things. I just want to share that with you. And the guy tears up. He goes, you don't understand. Those are the three things I need. Opens up in his life. God used it. He's encouraged. He's moving on. Very simple, right? God can move any of us. He can move us all in prayer. But in order to pray as a representative of him, we've got to come to a place where we need spiritual clarity. And sometimes that just takes time. So it starts out with what? Right focus. Then we go to spiritual clarity. And the third thing is a forgiving spirit. A forgiving spirit. Why? Because this kind of praying is not absent from our relationship with God. We're not saying magic words. We are walking in step with God. We walk in obedience to Him. We are trying to partner with Him. We cannot try and pray bold prayers unless we are both horizontally in right relationship and vertically in right relationship. Some people won't want to be ever in right relationship with you. That's fine. But you can surrender that to the Lord. A forgiving spirit is key. I'm not going to have time to unpack this in great detail. I'm going to say a couple short things about forgiveness. Because this can be confusing. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You're not going to forget what happened. But you're going to choose not to hold it against them. You say, God, this hurt, and I give it to you. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness also is not saying that you will now just trust that person. Trust may be broken. That may take time to restore. You may not even be walking in close relationship. doesn't mean you cannot forgive. Forgiveness, you cannot wait and say, I don't feel like forgiving yet. Do you know why? We will never feel like forgiving, right? You know a great phrase. Lord, I choose to forgive. In spite of how I feel, I choose to forgive. Whoever it is, I will say what they did, and this is most important, even though it made me feel this. Because whatever that feeling is, this is the root of your pain. And you've got to release that. Doesn't mean you have to go to the person, because forgiveness is essentially between you and God. He may lead you to that person at another point. Cannot expect to stand in relationship with God 
when you're violating all other relationships. We're a whole person. He wants a pure spirit. It's like the temple courts. He wants your temple clean. Keep short accounts. You may have forgiven somebody, and guess what? In about an hour, you've got to do it again. The next day, you do it again. Well, what if I can't remember everything to say I forgive God for? Relax. If he wants you to remember it, he'll bring it to your mind. Honestly, some people stress about that. Talk to somebody after last service. He's gentle. He's not going to show you everything right now. Just respond to what he shows you. And when tomorrow when he shows you more, respond to that. But your spirit is a forgiving spirit. Now you're positioned to stand in right relationship and pray boldly. Right focus, spiritual clarity, forgiving spirit. I'll end with a story. It's a true story. It is one of those stories that, again, marked me and encouraged me to pray boldly. And it is a story about a man who had an orphanage. There were about 300 kids he had at the time. Supported by donations. Um, This was a time he had ran out of money and food. But he still has all these kids. He wakes up that morning. It is time for breakfast. There is no food. He knows that when Jesus taught to pray, he says, pray and give us our day, our daily bread. And he knows this is out of his hands now. It's up to God. And he knows God will care for them. He knows God led him to do this orphanage. God provided the means so far. God's not going to let him down. He, he goes in there, and this is bold. He has all the kids go sit down for breakfast. Then what's he do? He thanks God for the food. What's bizarre is when you feel led by the Lord, you have spiritual eyesight to see what he sees and pray like he prays. He just thanks God for it. And then he waits. Door opens. The baker, red-eyed. What's going on? I couldn't sleep last night. And for some reason, I could not shake this thought. I was supposed to bake bread for you guys. I stayed up all night baking bread. So if you want bread, I've got bread. What's going on? God was moving him. They bring all this bread in. Unload this bread. Oh, you won't believe it. My cart broke down in front of the milkman. It's all going to go bad. I don't know if, I mean, I have a lot of milk. I don't know if you can use this, but I got a lot of milk. It's just going to go bad. Brings all the milk in. It's a true story of George Mueller. A hero of the faith in the 1800s. Guy modeled praying boldly and trusting God when, you know, he knew God led that and he was going to back it up. What's fascinating with him is that he had cared for over 10,000 orphans over his lifetime. He started 117 Christian schools that taught over 120,000 kids, a lot of them orphans. And God provided a means. God always provided it, and he was just known for the way he prayed. Simple, trusting. God, you're leading it. I think you're going to back it up, so I'm going to go for it. Powerful picture. I know it marked me. Such a great thing. Verse 24, what Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it'll be yours. As we close, I just want to say, what if... God wants to move us deeper right now. What if 2014 is that year for us where we begin to pray more confidently because we have better focus, 
We're learning how to get better clarity. So now we know how to pray. And when we pray, we pray with confidence. What if? You know, we're, this service, sometimes we need to marinate a little bit, right? We need to marinate for a moment. We also need to give a little space for God to do this right now. What if God wants to lead you right now in a situation? What if right now God wants you to begin, he begins to birth a prayer for somebody you know or a situation? Jesus says the Father's always at work. So let's partner with him. So we've got to slow down to do that. I just encourage you, the only thing, just keep in your hand, maybe just these two bookmarks and those biblical prayers. What we're going to do in this moment is, as you say, God, would you lead me to what you want me to even pray about? You may just be on the forgiveness piece. Maybe that's going to consume your time. You might be sitting in here and you've heard about Jesus and you're saying, I know he's real. You know it. Because you're not just being revealed in scripture. He's revealing it to your heart now. And you respond to him. You're saying, I'm going to give you my life. I'll follow you. And you confess whatever he puts in front of you, just in your mind. If he brings it up, you say, I give it to you. You died for this. You rose, saying you had victory over it. I don't even know what it means fully to follow you, but I trust that Jesus, your God, you came, died, rose. I give you my life. I'm a Christ follower. Come into my life. Maybe that's your prayer. If you're already a Christ follower, let's just ask God to lead us right now. Okay? Get your focus. Use those bookmarks if you have to, just to focus if you just need to focus. Sit with it. One word may just pop out, and you may sit with that. You may read through all of them. Who knows? Just focus. And then you go to a place, say, God, I need to have clarity on how to pray. And don't just start praying for the situation. You get clarity first. Pause. Just pause. Maybe it's a scripture on one of the, the back of this sheet that maybe that's what you're supposed to pray into that situation or for that person, or for yourself. And if you start to get clarity, then just say, how do we start a bold prayer? You said. And you just say, Lord, you said. So I stand with that. Would you release that? What if he wants to do that right now? I'm going to ask for that. Okay. Let me pray. Father, when we pray like this, we, we are leaning into your character. You said that you want to partner with us like this, and I don't know why you chose to do it like this, but you did. We know you're good. We don't have to beg you to speak, to lead us, but sometimes we do need to wait. So we're going to create some space to wait, space to wait. Direct us what to pray, direct us how to pray, and then move us to move in confidence as we pray. Now there's going to be a moment, just some silence right now. And shortly, J.D. and Sarah are going to sing a song over us. And you're, you're just invited. Let this moment continue in prayer. God will keep using it. So just relax. You can't mess this up. Just let the Lord lead you. He loves to speak to his people. Let's just have some quiet. Isn't it good just to pause sometimes? A lot of times there's fear of just waiting on God or just being there because, you know, sometimes people think he's going to be very harsh. 
um, he's gentle. He says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And so if he shows you something, we quickly confess it. And he wants to walk with you. Now, if you got some direction in your prayer time already, awesome. You go for it. You keep praying that. You keep standing on it. Stand with him till he accomplishes it. But a lot of times, you know, don't feel like something's wrong. If you're just having trouble getting focused, you might just need some space later today, throughout your week, just learning to focus. That's a, you know, sometimes it takes time to just still ourselves and not live in the past um, or live in the future, just to be present with God. And sometimes it just takes also time just to get clarity on how to pray. And that's okay. You wait in that spot until you have understanding and clarity. You may have others stand with you on that too. But it's a powerful thing. And trust me, he'll do it. He'll lead it. He's faithful like that. He really, really is. We're going to continue to worship. And uh, we're going to give our offerings to the Lord. We're also going to, well, we'll stand, we'll be declaring just our heart to him once again. And you know what I want to pray? I'm going to pray that God would even grace us with, let the things that we heard today sink in, what he wants us to hold on to, and that our faith would grow even just as we are worshiping, declaring the truth of who he is. That we come out of here more confident in him and a greater hunger to even walk with him in this tighter relationship to stand as his partners here on earth. Wouldn't that be great? So let me pray for our, uh, for our offerings and, uh, and then we'll worship. Well, Father, what an amazing privilege to know that you're a God who loves to move, to speak, that this is a time that you're inviting us all in to deeper relationship with you. So what an amazing privilege. And we say yes. We say we want to walk with you closer like this. We want to stand with you. We want to make you so proud. We want to pray just like you would pray if you were here. So use our mouth, direct our thoughts. I ask you also, use these gifts to spread the influence of the kingdom of God here and abroad. Draw people to yourself, Lord. We ask you for it. And so use these gifts. They come from a heart that's giving. We want to say thank you. That's where it's coming from. And so use these gifts. And also, Lord, as we worship, grace us with your presence in this place. And lift our hearts once again to you. Inspire us for how great you are. Expand our thoughts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. Good, isn't he good? He's amazing. He's amazing. Well, let me just say this. Don't lose sight of the fact that God has put you in a little spot of earth to extend the influence of his kingdom. He really has. And he's giving us an open invitation that says, all heaven is behind you. So, in your place of work, in your school, in your home, wherever you're at, you get to be one who extends the kingdom of God, and he will respond to prayers of faith that represent his prayers. It's powerful. So if you're, if you're still breathing, some people think, oh, I'm too old for this. No, you're not. If you're still breathing, this is for you. If you are old enough to understand what I'm saying, this is for you. God's with us, right? So what if 2014 is a year we've walked in this in a greater way personally and as a church? Our life group leaders even practiced this last Friday uh, when they were getting together, just praying with each other. They're praying for your groups. God's moving already behind the scenes. It's just really, really fun to see it. So I'm going to leave you with a blessing. May God move on you powerfully this week. And may there be such a grace in pursuing him, a grace to have focus, a grace to listen in a way that's been easier for you than ever before. 
And may there be a spirit on you that is so forgiving that it's easy to walk in right relationship with him and with others. And may your prayers move the hand of God in amazing and powerful ways so that he gets the glory in amazing ways in these valleys and beyond. God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a good one.